The news of the past few weeks makes a poignant backdrop to this Sunday's readings. 59 people killed, 527 wounded by a gunman in Las, in Las Vegas on October the 1st. Three days later, a truck bomb in Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia, killed 358 people and injured another 400. And last Friday, 56 people killed by a suicide bomber in Kabul, Afghanistan. And here in Chicago, 39 people shot to death since October the 1st. Nor have I forgotten the Middle East, where Shia Muslims fight Sunnis, Turks and Iraqis fight Kurds, Jews fight Palestinians, and Syrians fight each other. The Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai, who died at the beginning of the new millennium, wrote about the blood feuds of the Middle East in one of his poems, but he could be describing the blood feuds of any country anywhere. He wrote, Caught in the homeland trap of a chosen people to talk now in this tired tongue, torn out of its sleep in the Bible, blinded, it totters from mouth to mouth in a tongue that describes miracles and God, now to say automobile, bomb, and God. The poem refers to the fact that Hebrew was a dead language for the past 2,500 years. Modern Hebrew was resuscitated from its linguistic grave in the last century by Eliezer ben Yehuda, a Swiss Jew. Resuscitating a long-dead language is not an easy task. Language is a living thing. It evolves and changes with a culture as anyone knows who has attempted to read Beowulf or maybe even Hamlet. When Hebrew was brought back to life, old words had to be given new meanings and new words had to be invented for what no one two millennia ago could have dreamed of, let alone experienced. Amichai's poem is suggesting that the Hebrew language once spoken by God to Moses on Mount Sinai to reveal Torah is now used to describe the undying hatreds of the Middle East. There's a double irony in the poem, not merely because the word God is the only word repeated, but because Amachai wrote in Hebrew. The same words that he uses to describe car bombs are also used by him to write love poetry. Unlike modern Israelis, Jesus probably did not speak Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. Hebrew had been dead for 500 years by the time he was born. But he may also have known Greek. Greek was uh, Galilee, where he grew up, was bilingual, and Nazareth was just a stone's throw from the Greek-speaking city of Sepphoris across the valley. But if Jesus did not speak Hebrew in daily life, He certainly knew how to read the Hebrew of the Bible. His knowledge of the scripture is evident everywhere in this passage, which records a quiet conversation with with the Pharisees on the true essence of religion. When he is asked to name the most important commandment, he gives the most traditional answer possible. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. But he begins midway through the verse. The first part contains the famous prayer recited by Jews to this day. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu 
Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. The, the Pharisees, in their knowledge of Torah, knew the context and most likely could fill in the beginning of the verse from their own memory. The first word of the passage, Shema, is crucial to everything that follows. It's a verb that means to listen with an open ear and be prepared to act on what is heard. In short, obediential listening of the sort that St. Benedict urges on his monks in the prologue. In fact, the first words of the prologue. But hear what? The statutes and commands that God has given to Israel, of course, among which are the Ten Commandments. But if you read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and that's hard slogging reading, there are many hundreds of other laws beside those unforgettable ten. Unforgettable, but unfortunately thoroughly breakable. According to the scribes, there were 613 laws. To know these laws was to know the will of God. And to do the law was to live in conformity with God's plans and desires for human flourishing. But it's difficult to pay attention to 316 things all at once and to do justice to any one of them. So the Lord Jesus singles out this one command, Shema. He means that a Jew must hear the word of Israel's God as the only true God. There is no other God. But however fervently one might believe this, it's not enough. Belief in the one true God has consequences for human behavior. If the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, which seems likely giving, given their animosity toward him, they must have gone away disappointed. There is nothing new or unusual in the answer. But then Jesus complicates things. He jumps from Deuteronomy 6 to Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The scribes, or the Pharisees, could not have anticipated this because by joining these two sentences from two different books of the Bible, Jesus gives his answer a special twist, namely that the command to love one's neighbor directly flows from the command to love God. And beneath this text lies still another verse that the Pharisees could not have failed to grasp, Genesis 1.27. In his image God made them, male and female he created them. I said that the gospel records a quiet conversation. That statement is at best a half-truth, because beneath the surface, the passage fairly crackles with hostility. The conversation takes place a few days before the Pharisees will join with the scribes and the chief priests in delivering Jesus over to Pilate for crucifixion. There is a double irony here, too. When Jesus links love of neighbor to love of God, he speaks to the, the Pharisees as the incarnate Logos, the incarnate Word, who, as both God and man, is himself the object of the double command to love God and neighbor. Because in the incarnation, the divine Logos has made himself our neighbor. The world has become his neighborhood. If the scribes were really interested in the great commandments, if the Pharisees were interested in the great commandments, if any of his listeners were, they would have come to love Christ 
In effect, Jesus has delivered a verbal slap across the Pharisees' collective faces, a slap that will be paid back in full in the late hours of Good Friday during the Lord's interrogation before the chief priest Caiaphas. Now, those two slaps, one across the faces of the Pharisees and one across the face of Christ, are worth remembering the next time you tell yourself that Mr. Rogers didn't adequately prepare you for the people who live in your neighborhood.